0: Okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that! You don't got time for that sh-. Alright? Let's go! Break it! Break it, Glenn! Cross!
1: Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
2: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on
0: it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer for another edition of RCST here. We're going to be joined on Tuesday, as always, by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World at 340. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440. we got plenty of KU football talk coming at you today. We've got some Lance Leipold presser audio to get to you throughout today's show as well. There's huge news. Uh-oh. Huge news. Uh-oh. Huge news. Earlier today,
3: the New York City Mayor, Eric Adams, in a press conference, claimed that Kansas doesn't have a brand. Okay? Okay. And listen. I, listen, we already know I have a beef with East Coast. And now it, it runs even deeper now. He got up. He, he the, the quote is like, you know, New York has a brand, blah, 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 blah. What what does Kansas have? What does Kansas have? First of all, first of all, Eric Adams, Kansas has a 4-0 football team. Does New York have that? They sure don't. No, they don't. They sure don't. Give me a break, man. Come on, get out of here. Mm. Get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, the beef, the beef runs deep with the East Coast now. I already hate Eastern time. And now I've got
0: a bone to pick with Eric Adams. Hey, listen, if he wants to, you know, uh, live in his trash-infested, rat-filled city, I'll I'll, I'll gladly live here in Kansas. Let Uh, him know. Yeah, not my thing, man. Uh, By the way, this real quick, uh, KU just announced a future opponent for football. I believe this will be their season opener because it's August 31st for 2024. So mark your calendar now against Lindenwood University, which – is a member of the Ohio Valley. I I could have sworn Lindenwood used to be an NAIA program. Yeah, I thought they were like D2 or D3. And then, yeah, I think they moved up to D2. I think they might have just moved up to the Ohio Valley. It says they're in the Ohio Valley now. So that'll be KU's season opener in 2024, which, by the way, that's something we haven't even talked about yet, that KU was trying to get out of that Houston game (laughs) this year. And Houston was like, no, we're not going to let you. Like, You're going to have to pay this big fine if you do. And KU just beat them anyway. We just, went there, anyway. There, just yeah. there and beat the snot out of them. You think Houston's sitting there like, crap, we should just let them get out of there. Like, there, there's no way they would have thought KU was going to be this good. No, no. no. But anyway, kind of cool. Uh, the wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. I was trying to to go around and, and look at some of the futures for college football and whatnot, figure out what bets that I might want to place at this point in the season. We were talking a little bit about this, I think, off air yesterday. Washington at plus 550 to win the Pac-12. Thoughts on that? They don't – They uh, we mentioned this. They they don't play anybody in the Pac-12. They have Oregon and Oregon State on the schedule. They
3: dodge Utah. They dodge USC. They are playing UCLA, which UCLA, while undefeated, is not very good. They're playing them this weekend, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And then they don't they have Washington State later in the year for the Apple Cup, which that should be an interesting game. Washington State seems like they're a pretty decent team. They they gave Oregon a run. So they have some games on their schedule, but they dodged the big dogs of the Pac twelve, so to speak. So yeah, I mean, they've got a great chance at going eleven and one. And remember the Pac twelve eliminated their divisions. So they could go eleven and one with a loss to Oregon, and that might still put them in the Pac-12 championship game over Oregon potentially.
0: Yeah, and, and this was my biggest worry when you get away from division. So I hope the Big 12 is watching. I hope the Big 12 is listening because obviously they're gonna they, they haven't announced what they're gonna do with these new teams coming in for next year. I I hate this idea of doing the. No divisions? Yes, because the whole point is that I get it. Like, sometimes you do have unbalanced divisions, and you have a better team playing a worse team that had an easier schedule. But at least you have the simple nature of, hey, we got to play everyone in the division, so we decided who the best team was in the division, as opposed to this, where, like, what if Washington is really the fourth best team in the Pac-12, but because they didn't have to play... You know, with Utah and USC, yeah. and and those are actually the top two. And then, and again, if uh, Oregon
3: if Oregon gets two losses, yeah. but they
0: beat Washington, they're not in the they're not right. in the championship. Game. And Oregon's one of the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it's stupid. I I don't like that, but could make for Washington uh, on a good bet at DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets, one boost per eligible game. 10 plus leg required for 100% boost, opt-in required. Part and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. KU sitting at 4-0 now on the season. And something we brought up briefly yesterday that I want to kind of dive into more today is the idea that KU is not winning any of these by like fluky natures or by weird things happening. Like KU hasn't had a game. Like how the Colts beat the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like in years past, a lot of KU's wins over like the big boys over Power 5 opponents have come on, on weird stuff like that. Yeah, That has not happened at all for KU, and I think, in fact, the Duke game was was kind of the opposite of that, not in terms of Kansas losing the game, but like if Duke would have won that game, you would have kind of pointed to that game and said, man, I thought Kansas outplayed them, yeah. but they ended up winning the game by eight, a game that could have been more, and I know uh, like, Bill Connolly for ESPN SB Plus, he uh, does a lot of, like, metric stuff in, um, in work, and and work, and he puts out these, like, box score things from the game. And for one of them, based on just, you know, the numbers that happened in the game, what happened in the game, the expected win point margin, I guess, I, I kind of worded that weird, uh, for Kansas in that game was, like, 17 points. The expected margin of victory. Yes, there that? we go. That's a do, much better way of putting it. <laughs> how does that? Much sound? more clean. Um, yeah, the the expected margin of victory was seventeen point two points. They won by eight. The expected, I guess, again, I'm I'm gonna totally butcher this term, um, <laughs> but I believe the, I don't know, the post game win expectancy. Expectancy. I believe that's that's how. Uh, how you say it was 98% for Kansas so like even though that game felt like it was i mean it was to the very end it was a game that oh man are they going to you know is this going to go to overtime is duke going to drive to the end and score a touchdown go for two just like the west virginia game and we're going to be in overtime again and it's a coin flip the expected win percentage based on how they played was 98% they should have won that game by a lot more and and i was I was pretty impressed by Duke. Like I I think Mike Elko, I came away impressed with him. I think Duke in in an ACC that um, I don't think has a ton of just like dominant teams could very easily be a bowl team, but KU was clearly the better team and won the game, and I think that's been a theme so far through the first four games of the season. They have clearly been the better team, I think, in all four games, and they have won each and every game.
3: Yes, they have unequivocally been the better team, the better coached team, and they've gotten the better quarterback play also in all four games as well. But to your point, I thought Duke. I gave a lot of respect to Duke as well. They they fought back. They didn't roll over. You know that that seemed like a game where uh, a weaker team mentally might fold on the road and at a, a, a. I don't know. if – Is tough environment a fair statement? I don't. I don't know if that is or not. I mean, it's mm. a packed booth, but is yeah. it a tough environment? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you know you have that aspect of it, but they didn't. They fought back and they you know they played really hard and, and they were even aggressive, right? So. I do have a lot of respect for Duke. But yeah, KU, you're absolutely right. The the storyline for these first four games of KU is that they haven't needed a big break to win games. They've been the better team. You know, they they caught a big break against West Virginia, obviously with the pick six to, to seal it in overtime. But they they were they played really well. They fought back. They were the better team in the second half, I think, easily against West Virginia. So that that's something that's really exciting because you're absolutely right. When you look at KU's past victories, against teams that were not FCS opponents. I mean, think about Texas Tech in 2019. Texas Tech in 2019, they blocked the field goal. All And the game was won. Texas Tech had won the game. And the guy, inexplicably for no reason, just threw the ball away. And you got a second chance to get a game-winning field goal. Like, like you can't even... I don't care what kind of SP plus whatever you want to cook up or concoct or whatever. You you, you just simply can't yeah. account For something like that to happen in a game,
0: but I guess that's what I'm saying. Like it's not just that game because what you just mentioned there is very true of that game. That was a game Texas Tech was up seventeen nothing to begin with too. (laughs) You needed like a and that wasn't like fluky that you came back because that was just Carter Stanley and and some good receivers just throwing it all around the yard. But the the end of that was very fluky with with the field goal thing. You had the uh, Texas game. Yeah, both Texas games. I I think the the Texas game in Lawrence in 2016 was more fluky than the one in Austin because the one in Lawrence. Like, it's not like KU played, like, a great game. Uh, Dorrance Armstrong had a really big game for you, but, like, they had six turnovers. Like, you didn't do much offensively in that game. They just had six turnovers, and they basically gave you the game. The one in Austin, they had four turnovers, though, in that one, too. So it's not like that was just clearly Kansas just outmatched Texas. Like, some of it was self-inflicted by the Longhorns as well. The, The TCU win, that was in Lawrence in, gosh, was that 2017, 2018, something like that. Uh, the buff fumble, yeah, TCU, their running back runs into their own offensive lineman <laughs> on a goal-to-go situation, fumbles the ball, KU takes over and wins by like a couple points in that game. Like there are uh, among KU's wins over power five schools, there, there are only a few that stick out over the last decade where it's like, no, they they just legitimately won that game. Like Rutgers, they beat their brains in, although that one you had yep. a lot of turnovers too, but uh, you would have been fine even if you didn't. Uh, the Boston College game, you just beat their brains in as well. Yep. Yep. But there have been so many wins, especially in these big 12 games, that for KU they've all just taken the other team messing up more than you just playing well. And I think that's what we're learning about this team coming into this season. This is no longer a situation of... Okay, Kansas needs to play their A or B game and hope their opponent plays their D or C game. This is now, if Kansas plays their A game, it's going to be tough to beat them. And that's 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 got to be very exciting from a coaching perspective, very oh, yeah. exciting from a fan perspective, because it's not just about, well, you better hope the opponent messes up today.
3: Well, a great example is, what's the one thing that Andy Kolnicky, the offensive coordinator, has been saying pretty much at every press conference? He said, you know, last season, we were focusing on just simply avoiding bad football, right? Well now we're taking the step forward to instead of just simply trying to avoid bad football, we're now trying to play good good football, right? And when that happens, good things happen. So, and I think it just goes back to the discipline also, like of what Lance Leipold has preached and the consistency and this, that, and the other, and and how you know no matter what the score is, no matter what the record is, the coaching is going to be the same. Like that stuff matters, and that stuff pays dividends when you. You know, when you go forward further and in, further into the tenure of Leipold and all these players and everybody starts to buy in, and you get that consistency going, and to where, then all of a sudden, you know, if you are playing disciplined and you're playing well, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you play your game and you're better than the other team, you're gonna win. So it's it's yeah, it's definitely very exciting. And that when it when anytime Andy Kolnicki says that, it always makes me laugh because it's just like you know, like what's what's the most bottom of the barrel thing that you could say to to a team. Well, guys, let's just focus on not playing bad football. <laughs> like, like, is, is there anything lower that you can say to try to like motivate a team? Like, let's just not play bad. And now we're starting to see the evolution of that to where the that has settled in, sort of the bedrock, I guess, so to speak. And now we're seeing KU go further than that, and they're playing really well, obviously, and it's and it's showed in their four zero record.
0: Yeah, these are the expected win or gosh, again, just butchering it, the The win expectancies for KU among their four games based on what happened in the game themselves. 100% against Tennessee Tech, 75% against West Virginia, 87% against Houston, 98% against Duke. So like, it's not just that they're, hey, they're the better team and they won the game. It's like by far they are playing as the better team in these games. And I, I think yeah. a good amount of that you, you have to look at, how good Jalen Daniels has been and how good Lance Leipold is like yep. y- you go into every game right now if you're KU and at the probably most important position in terms of like head coach quarterback duo y- you probably have the advantage in like every game you're playing oh definitely they've had the advantage in the first four games of the season I mean you can
3: maybe look at Jalen Daniels or uh, not Jalen Dan- uh, JT Daniels performance for West Virginia and say okay he had a pretty good game right but Jalen Daniels has been unequivocally better. He was certainly better than Clayton Toon, certainly better than Riley Leonard, certainly better than Jeremiah Odoms of Tennessee Tech. So there's no question that Jalen Daniels has been the better quarterback. And when you look at the head coaching aspect of it, Lance Leipold has clearly been the better head coach in pretty much every game, right? And he, like the closest one might be Mike Elko. Mike Elko, I thought, really had a pretty yeah. good game from a coaching standpoint. He was aggressive when he needed to be. They they went forward a couple of times, got it, got stopped a couple of times too, though. But they but they at least had the stones to make those calls, right? So but still when you you've said it before derek when you have the advantage at head coach and the advantage at quarterback you're going to be successful period end of story regardless of like all all, all other things being equal you're going to have success and that that's shown that's shown through the first four games
0: yeah and and i think even if we take this like a step further to um like the duke game you didn't force any turnovers you were even the team who messed up and had the turnovers in the uh, I, Tennessee Tech game. I mean, I I don't know. I, I'm hesitant <laughs> to even say like, oh, you were the one who messed up. You muffed the punt, stuff like that. But you did. But like in the past, that was like a that was like a given. Where if you went into a game and said KU is gonna compete, they're gonna have a good game, they're gonna have a chance to win. Yeah, it was always it, it was always this you couldn't team, lose the turnover. It, 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 battle. Yeah, yeah. It,
3: it was always the opponent needs to do this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and then KU might have a chance. Right. That was always the discussion. It's like, well, if they do, you know, if they struggle or if
0: they turn it over or you know, whatever, then
3: KU might mm-hmm. have a chance to compete.
0: And so, like, I think against like an Iowa State this week, it, yes, if you lose the turnover battle this week, that could be the difference to lose to them because they're they're a pretty solid team, and and obviously you're you're the underdogs here. But it's no longer a game that like if you would have went into last year's game against Iowa State when KU got kind of. Trounced by the Cyclones, you would have said, okay, well, KU is going to need the defense to force a bunch of turnovers and and try to stay in the game and, you know, do all these things right. In this game, uh, it's, yes, if you can force some turnovers, it puts you in a great spot. But if this is a game where KU had one turnover and Iowa State has none, Kansas could still win the game. Yes. So and that's. You, you would probably take, you would certainly
3: take Jalen Daniels over Hunter Deckers. Yes. And you would probably take Lance Lightpool over Matt Campbell, too, right now.
0: Yeah? Maybe. Well, hopefully Nebraska doesn't see it that way. <laughs> but uh yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we have some Lance Leipold audio to get for you. We'll share that throughout the show today. Matt Tate is going to join us at 340 to talk a little KU football. We're going to be talking some Big 12 in KU football with Kevin Flaherty at 440. We've also got some more KU football talk to get through throughout the rest of the show. Nick Springer, Derek Johnson, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. KLWN KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it welcome back in to rock chalk sports talk here on klwn joined now by matt tate of the lawrence journal world kusports.com so matt um ku fans i know feel a little bit slighted right now by a few things going on so which which do you think is the biggest slight to KU football 11 a.m. game again against TCU no college game day back-to-back weeks or still not being ranked which is the most offensive
2: do I have to pick one I don't (laughs) think any of them are man you might have read this on a on a website (laughs) near you Uh, (laughs) but I, I I don't think any of them are offensive I think people need to relax I don't blame them for talking about it and saying well that sucks you know cool would have been great but um yeah you know like these things aren't done with the idea of well let's just stick it to KU or let's just really upset Kansas fans I mean that's that's not what they're doing you know first of all this is new territory for everybody so the college game day people um have to uh re-enter Lawrence, Kansas onto their football map. You know, this hasn't even been an option for over a decade, <laughs> and so you know, this is new territory, and and so I don't think it's a slight. In fact, I think people should watch game day this weekend, um, because I know for certain that they're going to do a nice segment on Kansas football, and, and you know, that's just as good as, as having them here. I mean, I get it. The exposure and, and the buzz and all that would be really cool, um, but you're still getting your Message out there about your program. If there's a, a nice
0: segment on on game day, and
2: you might even see a familiar face or two on there if you watch. As you say, you were um, uh,
0: looking dapper at media availability today.
2: <laughs> there you go. I had to put the jacket on and really really confused Lance, didn't I? He was uh, what was his comment? I think he said, "I feel underdressed now." <laughs> so, uh, and I don't know if you saw the end too, but when he walked out, he he, he asked me. He said any special occasion or you just felt like dressing up? And I said, no, you're, you're four and O this is, this is what four and O looks like, man. Just wait till, wait till you see what six and O looks like. And (laughs) then of course, like any head coach that is superstitious and all of that stuff, he rolled his eyes and said, geez, just, can we, can we get to five and O first? And the good news for Kansas is they can, this is a winnable game this weekend. So There is no slight from the AP voters. It is not, look, Kansas is number 26 in the country. That is just as good as being number 25 or 24 or 23. And it's a heck of a lot better than being number 118 like they're used to. So, you know, uh, I get it. Everybody likes to jump on those things instantly. Um, And if you read the the thing about the 11 o'clock kickoffs, that's, that's not always bad either. I think the eleven o'clock slot sometimes can be better because your game might end up being more watchable, or uh, you know, not up against other games that are that are going to take the national spotlight away, like a number one team or a number two team, or or a, an SEC showdown or something like that. You know, so um, to each his own on that. I'm, I'm not going to dog people for you know, wanting to be upset about it, um, any of it, but, but I do think that's kind of what it is. If if you're that upset about any of those three things, I think you're, you're wanting to be upset when my opinion, you should not be upset about anything right now. You should be relishing this four and O start and enjoying all things football right now and, and holding on for dear life to see how much longer the ride can last
0: because, um, it's
2: possible that it lasts a, a while longer. This could be a uh a fun season, let alone just a fun stars.
0: All right, I want you to quickly power rank these five different time slots for KU football games then for you can view it however you want for what you think the fan base would enjoy, for what you just personally want. Um eleven AM Well yeah, if
2: you want my if you want my media media journalist take it's yeah, it's not even close. I'll, I will I will handicap it. I'll say 11 a.m. kickoff is number one. 10.59 kickoff is number two. Uh, 11.01 is number three. I love the 11 o'clock game. I don't care about getting up there early. I can't tailgate anyway. So I wake up, I throw a shower, throw some clothes on, go to the game, cover it and I'm home in time to enjoy the evening with my my wife and daughter, have some real dinner. Um, uh, yeah, 11 o'clock for me is always and forever the number one time slot. But I will handicap it um, from a different standpoint because people get bored by that, and people aren't me and don't care about me. So let's say I will look at it through the eyes of – What's best for the program from an exposure standpoint? can we do that?
0: Yeah, and I think one thing that you're gonna have to start maybe not for this year, but for the future if if the big 12 is wanting to expand into another time zone and you have BYU in the league, I want you to also consider that KU could be playing in that like you know I guess it'll be big 12 after dark time uh, zone as well
2: yeah okay fair yeah that's good to know uh, because yeah i actually did leave off in my in my blog about the time zone thing or sorry about the time slot thing i, I did mention how you know 11 o'clock is is 11 in the in, in the midwest obviously and and noon out east and then 10 in the mountain time zone and somebody uh somebody mentioned in the comments that well hey i'm I'm on the West coast and you know that's nine o'clock out here, but it doesn't bother me because I get up at six o'clock in the morning or whatever, you know? So I didn't intend to leave him out, but I did quickly pivot and say that, well, you know, right now, as of today, there is no big 12 program in the, uh, Western Pacific time zone. So that was why I did it. And I tried to make it look like I was, you know, doing it on purpose and really thinking that through, but I, I really did just kind of get lazy there. But I'm okay with that, man. It's uh, KU's 4-0 in football, and this whole thing's new, so if I'm lazy, so be it. That's new, too. Okay. Let's uh, go. I want to I wanna rank them. I'm okay.
0: Ready. So here's the ones I got for you. 11 a.m., 2.30. Okay. I'll give you a 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and then Friday night. So you have five to choose from.
2: Ooh. Interesting. Um, okay. I'm going to put 230 in the number 1 spot. I like that a lot. I think when I think college football um historically and and as a as a fan of the sport growing up and all that stuff, that was always to me the the big game. Um you know, there's there's some some real buzz around primetime night games and stuff like that too, but um I always felt like 230 was like you had to wait for it a little bit if it was a TV game, you know, like back in back in my childhood I was you know, I would watch Anytime Miami and Florida State played each other, for instance, you know, when that was two thirty, that always felt like the sweet spot. That was like you wanted to watch that game all day or, or Oklahoma, Nebraska, or Oklahoma or I mean Colorado, Nebraska, those were those were big local, you know, big eight, big 12 type rivalry games that were always fun. And kind of, I remember just anticipating that so much. And you didn't have to wait all day, which can drive you crazy, but you did wait a long enough for that. You know, it felt like you earned it at that point. So I'm going to put two thirty in there, um, as the number one, I, I'm going to put six on Saturday as number two. Um, because I, I do think all those things about the primetime vibe, you know, under the lights, it's sort of that last game of the day feel, even though there's a later game, of course, um, out West, but it has that vibe to it. Um, and college football is, is Saturday. So I'll put that there. I do like the Friday night game though. Third. Um, I think there's some real value in that exposure. Uh, I, I think sometimes you're the only game in town. I mean, w- what, was it earlier this year? We were watching West Virginia pit on a Thursday night. Right. And, yeah, granted KU was playing West Virginia a couple of weeks later, but still, um, everybody was watching that game. It was it was you know, everybody's attention was on that game. People were gambling on it, they probably didn't know a thing about either team, not saying I know any of those people, just saying <laughs> um you know, and things of that nature. So there's there's a there's a real value I think in, in sort of having that it's not a full monopoly, but you, you kinda have some ownership of that night. Um, I do think it sucks for high school football to go up against it, but um, we're just talking college here. Um, so then that puts me at 11 o'clock would be the next spot. I don't mind it. I think there's something cool about, you know, your game starting at 11 and you just get up and go play or you get up and go watch your team. And, uh, and then someone even pointed out in the comments uh, on my blog there, that, that or maybe it was Twitter, I don't know, but, but basically saying, like, there's nothing cooler than the 11 o'clock game if your team wins. Because then you just get to kind of sit back the rest of the day, watch whatever games are on. There's no stress. You have a few celebratory beers. You laugh at other teams that have their stress and struggles and upsets and things of that nature the rest of the day. So it's, it, that 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 liking there is definitely tied to winning or losing, um, but it all is. And uh, so then that leaves what the late game on Saturday mm-hmm. last. Yep, and the of 9 PM. course I think that was probably probably predictable, right? I mean. Um, It'll be interesting if that changes, if, if Arizona and Arizona State enter the, the Big 12 ever or the BYU thing like you're talking about, just, a, a you know, a mountain time zone team like that. It, maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll shift it a little bit. But it's just in general not a great – I mean, you start thinking about how late that is on the East Coast. Not necessarily the kickoff, but the finish, right? And, uh, and, and also people – people go out on Saturday nights, they, they go to dinner, they, they go to shows, they go to clubs, they go do whatever they do. Right. And so sometimes you're, you're missing an audience that way. So um, I don't know. That's, that's a good question though. It's it's kind of fun to, uh, to assess it. And I really, I really don't think it's a disrespect thing. I, I, I would fight that fight for a long time. I, I, I think it's kind of, it's kind of overblown for people to say that they don't respect us. I mean, it's just you know they look. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma is Saturday at eleven o'clock. I mean, come on. I don't think it's this Saturday. I think it's next. But but they're disrespecting those programs? No way. That's not what's happening. That's just the time slot that it that it needed to to you know, get the best ratings and, and, uh, you know, obviously that plays into it too, the ratings game and, and these networks doing battle and, and picking their spots and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's crazy that we're even talking about this because this has not been a topic for a number of years.
3: Matt Ku's four and they're two games away from a bowl game. I'm curious. Do you think there's a possibility we start to fall into this trap of calling every game from here on out the most important game of the season for KU because they're so close to reaching this, this goal of becoming a bowl eligible team.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't know. um, That's a great point. Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's so much a trap as it is just, uh, you know, maybe the idea of, of different reality, alternate reality. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't, some of that stuff gets a little cliche and, and kind of easy. And, and I don't think in this case it would be um, because yeah, for Kansas, we're at that point, right? I mean, this one is massive. You keep your momentum going. If you win on Saturday against Iowa state, you uh, you get to five wins, which then puts you on the brink of the unthinkable. Um, and so that makes Saturday really big. If you lose Saturday, do you lose all your momentum? Is that the start of the downfall for the rest of the season? Is it the beginning of the end? I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could come with that or not, but but you you'd have to introduce them into the equation if you lose. So, um, and then and then yeah, you know, you win that one, and, and then the next one's every one of them will be massive until you do win again, because what six wins represents and what it means for your program in the future. So. Um, I, you know, I, I don't. I I thought it was really interesting today that Lance kind of ad- addressed, and I asked the question. I don't really remember even what I asked, but but his answer took it down this path, and he was talking about distractions. And I thought it was interesting that he he addressed that, that he's you know, sort of having these conversations um, here and there anyway with with some of the players or maybe the entire team about handling these distractions and and working through them because. When you have success, they don't go away. You know, they they become constant. and And if you have real success like this, and if they were to go five and zero or six and zero or whatever, um, they just grow, right? I mean, like I said, the the, the game day people were in town today. Um, now that's not a distraction for the entire team necessarily, but it's part of it. and And it's 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 you know different eyes on you. and And, and I don't know that it necessarily means more pressure, but it certainly could. Um, and so I, I thought that was interesting that, that he mentioned that and, and shows that he's on top of it. And I think it's important to address it if you're him. Um, so so that would just be another distraction is sort of the the idea of, of this next game being the biggest game. But the good thing for Kansas is, and, and from what I can gather and, and what I've learned about Lance so far, um, you know, they really do treat every game and every opponent the same way. It's the same approach Sunday through Friday, and, and they work it, and they game plan, and they prepare, and they try to keep their heads down, and they try to work, and um and they try to block out the noise. And, and so easier said than done sometimes, but I, I think the fact that that's what's expected and that's how they've always gone about it, um, I do think that can help a great deal. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, especially if it extends beyond just 4-0. 4-0 is a great start. 5-0 is... Even better, six and is Even better, right? I mean, it just gets bigger and, and grows and grows and grows from that point on. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see what comes.
0: Well, Matt, uh, I'm curious. These are two things that you're going to be paying attention to here coming up, uh, especially in the month of October. Uh, what are you going to be entertained by more? Continuing to watch Nathaniel Hackett do things as a coach, or seeing Shaq rap at late night? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I didn't know what it, what I was going. that, uh, uh, I'll, I, I'll be honest. I think it's great that Shaq's coming. Um, you know, look whether he connects with the younger generation or is you know the same as Lil Yachty or or whatever, um, whatever I don't care. And, and I'm old, that's fine. But but uh, but Shaq's a big freaking deal, no pun intended. I mean that dude is a legend. I think it's he's Big an Diesel, not Big Deal. Okay, my bad. Yeah, i meant <laughs> <laughs> But but he's a legend, man. He's one of the greatest mm. basketball players of all time. He's an entertainer. He's, I mean, he's going to be great. And, and there's another thing, right? Like, like that, that officially came out yesterday. And and I know a lot of people knew about it before that. um, But you know, it's like, why, why is everybody so quick to just destroy that? They're like, oh, that's blame. I don't (laughs) think so, man. I think it'll be cool. And I think the dude's wired to entertain, he always has. If you, even if you watch the, the TNT studio show, right, NBA games or playoffs, like he's good on that. And it's not like he's just going to come in here and collect a paycheck. He's going he's gonna to show up and he's going to be entertaining and, and have some energy. And, and he's going to be Shaquille freaking O'Neal, um, one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, you know, four-time champion, MVP of the league. Uh, okay, wait, quick follow-up plays to this. With some of the all-time greats. If, yeah. if
0: Bill Self had Shaq eligible, right now Shaq, would he start at center for this year's team?
2: <laughs> I love right now Shaq. Um, the answer is yes. I think so, man. Um, I don't know, you know, what kind of shape he's in, but...
0: Well, you don't want to be the coach hey, look, that benched get, Shaq. You know what I mean? Like, that's bad right, for recruiting. You get a chance to start
2: Shaq. I mean, like, <laughs> if nothing else, the scouting reports up for other teams are going to be tough because, A, he's a monster, and B, they don't know what he's what he's capable of. Maybe he's still a— mm. Look, to, to your point, right, like like right now, Shaq, I won't argue that he would average a double-double.
0: Mm, I mean, you're playing I against college kids. Yeah. <laughs> He's still giant. Yeah, I mean, what, I what do mean, you think it, it would take to at least get him to play in the scrimmage?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and, is that and allowed? I, did talk to someone today I don't know. I don't know. About, about trying to get him before, before late night, I'd like to interview him. And if I get him, I'll ask him that because my guess is he wouldn't. Um, for one, he could hurt somebody. Yeah. You know, like I – I I would imagine the self might say we're going to nix that right now. with the last thing we need is Shaq, you know, breaking Jalen Wilson's leg by landing on him or something mm-hmm. weird. But um, but I would argue that he would average a double double. I would I would argue that fiercely actually. Um, like you said, he'd be playing against college kids. I don't think it would be. I mean, who's going to guard him? Who's physically capable of pushing him out of there? So it's just a matter of uh, – I guess you'd see a lot of hack of Shaq, wouldn't you, uh, quite literally. I mean, there would be a lot of that. If, if Doak got that treatment, then Shaq would get it for sure, um, the the guy behind the whole invention of that thing. So I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, having said all of that, <laughs> I think I think he's going to be great. But I think I would still rather watch Nathaniel Hackett coach right now. Oh <laughs> wow. Um because I just I mean, like I think Shaq's gonna be really entertaining, but I think it's gonna be just weird, right? Like we're so used to it being a certain thing. If 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 anything, like I don't know, maybe we should handicap it from from the standpoint of like okay, here are the last ten late night performers which which one of these will Shaq be better than mm. or will he be worse than right and like i think he'll be better than run DMC was last year and I, and i didn't think they were terrible i just think it was kind of it was kind of stale it was it was what the, it was what it was they had fun seemingly the building had fun but it wasn't like a hoot you know <laughs> nobody like left there going that was one of the greatest nights of my life you know or anything like that whereas Obviously, the Snoop thing was very entertaining, depending on who you asked, but, but, I think, by and large, most people in the building were very entertained by Snoop and the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, Lil Yachty was was good. Um, he he blew my mind. Um, I I thought he was way better than I expected. Uh, I would probably I would probably handicap it at Shaq being better than Tech Nine and maybe better than Two Chains. Uh, I'm expecting that, but I don't know that he'll be as good as Snoop or Lil Yachty. Uh, And I can't really think before that; Um, it it shouldn't be that hard. But um, I don't really remember um, before Tech Nine. Maybe they stopped doing performers for a while. Is that right?
0: I I can't remember much past that either. But uh, yeah, I I I I would love to see you're not nearly as
2: old as me, so I'll take it. But yeah, I. I think I think Denver's two and one and tied for the division lead, and they've done it without playing really even a quarter of good football yet. They've had a couple good drives, but they haven't played. Much good football yet, and yet this coach is sitting there with a home win and a two and one record, and should be three and zero. And they play Vegas this weekend; should be four zero after that. I mean, you know, this is this is weird stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of where where we're at. I, I I love the question though. Of all the questions you've asked in all the mm. times I've been on with you or with you and Nick before or whatever, like that one's way up there, man. Because <laughs> not only it, it, was it hard and difficult and challenging, which you're known for, but, but it was also one of a kind. No one will ever be asked that question again in the history of the world.
0: Well, glad I can give you some unique no But, hey, Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man, and I'll see you tomorrow, and uh, have a good rest of your week. Sounds
2: great. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. And uh yeah, you do the same, man. Enjoy.
0: All right, that's Matt Tate. Check out all his work. Lawrence Journal World, KU Sports.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, two to go. Coming up in less than twenty minutes, we're gonna be joined by Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. Five o'clock hour. We're gonna get on to our KU offensive notes from the week four game against Duke, and uh, we also have some more Lance Leipold audio that we'll get to you later on in the show. But right now, we got to get to our Big 12 whip-around for the week, and it was a, I guess, intriguing week in the Big 12, to say the least. You had the Texas Tech, I, or not that, I almost mixed up games there, the Iowa State-Baylor <laughs> game, which was, I think, going to be pretty telling for both teams. From a Baylor perspective, they had lost to BYU if they lost that game too, it was going to be like, okay, is how, how really good is Baylor, or it would be is Iowa State like a contender? And it was a close game, which a lot of these Big Twelve games are and are going to be. So maybe we don't have like sweeping conclusions necessarily, but that one kind of more went status quo in terms of the like Iowa State is favored in Vegas, but in terms of we'll see. Iowa State was favored, yeah, but in terms of like who we viewed to be the the, the Big Twelve contender team. versus the more middle tier Big 12 team, it went that way. So we didn't necessarily have like a changing perspective of, well, Baylor's not a contender, but Iowa State is. Um, But what did happen that could change that up a little bit, Oklahoma lost at home to Kansas State. That was so annoying. Is, I guess, and and then the Texas Texas Tech game as well. Yeah. Starting with that Oklahoma-Kansas State game, did that do anything to you to change – what you think about this Oklahoma team, or do you just view it as they have a Kansas State problem?
3: I okay. The takeaways were one: Dylan Gabriel might not be as good as we thought he was. Mm-hmm. Like we like he's obviously had a great career at UCF or UCF, right? UCF. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure I got that right. At UCF, and he's a you know definitely a very talented quarterback, but he's just he's not. At a level of, like, Caleb Williams or Baker Mayfield or, you know, Kyler Murray or, you know, fill in the blank. Good good player but not complete game changer. Yes. Like, he's a a good quarterback. He's a talented quarterback. But he's not, you know, to the level that Oklahoma is used to having. Right. So that was one of my big takeaways. And also the other takeaway was clearly the Oklahoma defense is not 100% fixed. Which, after their performances earlier in the season, I think there were some people that were willing to maybe make that statement. That Brent Venables had fixed them. And now that question is up in the air again. But, on the other side, this is just classic K-State. This is just classic K-State. Get beat by Tulane, week before, you go on the road to Oklahoma. And then you just play the greatest game of your all time <laughs> against Oklahoma. That's just classic K State. That's who that's who they are. I mean, they
0: kind of own Oklahoma right now. Uh, yes, yes. So yes. again, I don't I don't know if I take this as just like it's just some weird matchup, or do we take it as now Kansas I mean, State I just had a weird game against Tulane, and they are a Big Twelve contender. No, I don't. I don't think it really
3: changes my view from that from that standpoint as much. I mean, l- like I said, they they had Adrian Martinez had the greatest game of his life, which. Again, the questions about K-State that we had was: we know they've got a pretty good defense. Obviously, they've got an elite running back; they can run the ball pretty well. But when the game is on the line or when you need a big play, is Adrian Martinez going to be able to deliver against Oklahoma? He would, he did, right? But is that going to continue? I I don't know. I, I don't I don't I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ready to say yes. You know, suddenly K-State is again a contender to go. Nine and three, ten and two. Yeah, well, I I, don't I think d- I'm willing to go that far. Yes,
0: yeah, so I I will say uh, the one thing I I do trust Brent Venables to eventually fix the Oklahoma defense. The question is because it's it's such an intricate, complicated system, and he's always changing stuff up, like over the course of the game, that it makes you wonder if he's not going to have it fixed till next year, or like in two years from now, right? Or it could, could be. just be later this season. To which, if it's not fixed by the time Kansas plays them, Adrian Martinez ran all over them. I mean, yes. Jalen Daniels might run for two hundred yards in that game, right? Like maybe KU actually has a chance in that game. But it does make me wonder. So they lose, and then you have Texas, like I said, losing to Texas Tech. I think the that lesson was a tough one. It was. I, I think the lesson here to me is this. Teams I don't even know. Now that Kansas is like a good team and I like okay, West Virginia might be one of the bottom two teams in the Big 12, they might be the bottom team in the Big 12. Yeah. But like, I still think West Virginia could win five or six games. I, I guess the Big 12, like number one to number 10, I don't think there's like that big of a difference on a week-in, week-out
3: basis. Clearly not. I mean, we yeah. thought Oklahoma was head and shoulders above pretty much everybody else, and they definitely got taken down a peg or two by Kansas State. Texas, again, the question always is with their back. Talent-wise, obviously they're very good, but... Uh, Texas Tech, another team that I don't really think a lot of people had on their radars. They've got some really nice wins early in the season, so now suddenly that you know Texas Tech looks like they might be, you know, a fifth or sixth best team in the conference, right? But again, it's that the I think you run into the issue which you were, maybe you were alluding to with the West Virginia situation is like you can't have five teams all be the fifth best team in the conference, <laughs> right? Right. Like somebody, somebody's got to be the last. Somebody's got to be the worst team in the conference, right? And at this stage of the season, it's it's still wide open. It could be any of those teams. I mean, if you have a, if you if you if your team goes cold, you know, if you're an Iowa State or if you're a West Virginia or you're a Texas Tech or even Kansas, and you have a three or four game stretch where you struggle,
0: suddenly you're yeah. probably
3: in the hole, right? And yeah. you're probably looking at finishing eighth, ninth, or tenth in the conference.
0: Yeah. So I think there's two ways of looking at it that that you Which, know that's. That's scary for Kansas because they right. do
3: have a stretch where they're going to have to play Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Oklahoma back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So if those are the three straight
0: losses for Kansas, suddenly they could be at the bottom of the barrel again. Well, I will say, if, if the top is not as good as... Like, if the top doesn't have any elite teams, if there's no elite teams in the Big 12, and the bottom of the league is all, like, quality teams, what do you think that means? Like Because that means you're going to have more teams beating up on each other, essentially. You're going to have more teams with records that are a little bit equal it's like the NFL right now you only have two undefeated teams <laughs> and you have only one oh and three team like most of the teams are stacked up in the middle there what do you think the team who wins the big 12 their record looks like like is there is there a situation where the two teams playing for the big 12 title maybe it's like a nine and three versus an eight and four team I think is that crazy
3: no I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy at all because who's to say that Oklahoma State couldn't beat Oklahoma who's to say that Oklahoma State couldn't beat Baylor who's to say that, that o- Baylor couldn't beat Oklahoma or you know that K-State ends up losing two or three games against Baylor or Oklahoma State. And then who's to say that Kansas doesn't upset Oklahoma State or upset, you know, or suddenly Texas Tech is looking like a pretty a, a pretty, you know, tough opponent, right? Who's to say they don't take a win from Baylor or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you're right, you do have, you know, four or five teams that are between 9 and 3 and 7 and 5 or whatever. And then you do have that situation with the Big 12 title. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is interesting because I, are we overreacting, Derek? Because before the bef- before the season, we were like, "Man, the Big Twelve kind of wide open." Then last week, we were talking about, "Okay, well, Oklahoma's the best team, so it's not as wide open as we thought." Oklahoma, and then
0: everybody else. Which I don't know why we did that because it's not like they beat anyone good. <laughs> You're right, up man. until that point. They beat Nebraska. They yeah. beat Nebraska
3: by fifty, but it's Nebraska. And now, now we're sitting here I have to walk back our Oklahoma take because. Now all of a sudden we're back to square one, where the Big Twelve it turns out is kind of wide open, which is what we thought to begin with.
0: Yeah, and I mean who knows? Oklahoma could shake this off and finish ten and two. That would not be like surprising. Baylor could go on a run and finish ten and two. That would not be surprising. But I definitely yeah. think we're going to have everybody kind of beat up on each other. I I kind of do think that the winner of the conference, I think at least has two losses. But I I am kind of leaning toward three right now. Uh, and also, by the way, with OU losing to K State, Texas losing to Texas Tech, is the KU K State game is that a better game than the Red River, or whatever they call it now? <laughs> the Red River Rivalry?
3: They didn't it, it. it
0: I thought it used to be like the Red River Shootout, and then it was like uh, the Red River or something else, and then it was the I don't know. No,
3: I always thought it was the Red River. Rivalry. Let's see.
0: I'm gonna look up the history on this. Or
3: Red River Showdown maybe is that what it was for a little bit, and then it was. Red I think River it was like rivalry? the
0: Showdown and the Shootout. No, now it's the Showdown.
3: Oh, I like Rivalry better.
0: I agree. You get the alliteration, yeah, right? Yeah, you get
3: the triple Rs.
0: Red River Rivalry. Let's see. That's
3: what I always thought it was. I'm going to still call it that if that's right with you.
0: Yeah, it says the game was formerly called the Red River Shootout. Lame. Then for the 100th game in 2005, the game was officially renamed the Red River Rivalry. There we go. Out of a desire not to convey an attitude of condoning gun violence. Then, oh. in 2014, it became the Red River Showdown. What? This is super confusing. Just so, why did they one. do that? So... The Red River, also, or whatever you want to call it.
3: Also, shootout. I mean, I guess with the violence thing, but like it's you. you but it's only you if have you games where you call exactly, it exactly, exactly. It's
0: only you if you, you a converse a it that way. Anyway, nonetheless.
3: Well, I like rivalry the most, so I'm gonna. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, cool I'm gonna, with it. I'm gonna choose to call it that. But, but yes, to, we digress. The the sunflower
0: showdown suddenly, like I said, could be. Is it the a, sunflower showdown or sh- sunflower shootout? Well, that's a good I'm question. just joking. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's suddenly well. Listen
3: again. We talked about. I, I mentioned this to you earlier. What if it's five and six KU and five and six K State? That seems unlikely now. K State's probably going to win more than have more than five games at that point. But okay, uh, but,
0: eight and three KU versus eight and three K State. Winner goes to the Big Twelve, <laughs> 12 championship game. Exactly. Mm. Like that's not that's not that crazy. That that something like that could happen. It's a little crazy. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, by the way, where? Because we've kind of talked about this, like. Jalen Daniels, it, it seems like the conversation that we've had on this show, different guests, like you've heard Kevin Flaherty, who we're gonna have on here in a few minutes, say, I think Jalen Daniels is the best quarterback in the Big Twelve. I think he is too. I think is this conversation starting to become like it's not just that Jalen Daniels is the best, but it's like He's it's very clearly, clearly the best. You know what I mean? Yeah, him with a bullet.
3: Yeah. Well, I I mean, again, I think Dylan Gabriel would have been the only other guy I mean. Again, I think the, Spencer Sanders is interesting because he's got the most experience at the Big 12 level, but again, he's like, he's kind of inconsistent. You know, what do, is he, what, what really is he? But yeah, but and then you got Dylan Gabriel and that's, that's about it. I mean, is anybody else even really even close to being in the discussion at this point?
0: Mm, I mean, if Adrian Martinez did that every week, but I mean, like if, he's if Quinn, inconsistent. If
3: Quinn Ewers was healthy, obviously, he might be, he would yeah. be in the discussion, but. He can't. Be Blake Shapen has
0: looked pretty good so far. He's Been okay. But Hunter Deckers yeah, has ten he's, touchdowns uh, and five interceptions. Yeah, eh, you know. Yeah, you're you're right. I, 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 almost is by default. It's it's not just because of that. Like Jalen has clearly earned yes. it to be in that discussion. But I like I
3: don't know if you saw, but he has the highest QBR through three games. Uh, or I his so his QBR is like ninety seven to three games. That's like the same as Baker Mayfield, his Heisman season. Yeah, it was like I think it was uh, Jalen Hurts and Bryce Young. Through four games, it was it was around the yeah yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. of those guys. So he's he's been pretty incredible. All right, we're gonna take a time out here. When we come back, we're gonna be joined by Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. Talk a little more Big Twelve KU football. That on the other side, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. 20 till 5 here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on another edition of RCST. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports now joins us on the show. Oklahoma beats Kansas State. Texas loses to Texas Tech. Uh, we had Baylor beat Iowa State in a close game. What the heck do we make of the Big 12 now? How would you figure out the top tier? Is is it just all 10 teams are in the same tier? It feels
1: that way. You know, I I was looking at it because we put out our Big 12 power rankings every Tuesday morning, and I was looking at it, and you realize the biggest margin of victory in the conference season so far in the Big 12? It's KU's overtime win over West Virginia because (laughs) of the pick six from Jacoby Bryant. So literally the, the game that was separated by the most points at the end of the game is a game that went into overtime and and so it's it's amazing to to see because i think that you know heading into last week after the the Tulane game i was really down on kansas state as a big 12 title contender and thought man like without that offense and you know they had really struggled offensively in a lot of ways against missouri even with the win there I, i just i i don't see it and And at the same time, you know, Texas had bounced back, you know, in the game after Alabama. And you start to say, okay, well, maybe Texas is in that discussion. I think we had Oklahoma number one in our power rankings last week. And then it was like you just threw it together in like one of those little Yahtzee dice cups and let it all ride. And, you know, you just didn't know what you were going to get. Oklahoma continues to struggle with, with K-State, K-State's won, I think, three of four uh, against Oklahoma, including the last two in Norman. Texas Tech, huge overtime win against Texas. And and you look at that game, Derek and, and Joey McGuire, letting it ride with eight fourth-down conversion attempts, they got six of them. Uh, and so this is a really fun conference. And I do think it's funny because I, I feel like the team that – everybody just about would pick at the bottom of their power rankings at this point. It's probably West Virginia and West Virginia is a regulation score against Kansas and, you know, a late pick six against Pittsburgh away from being undefeated itself. Texas is the only other two loss team in the conference and Texas went to overtime for one loss and lost to Alabama by two. And so when you, when you look at that and look across the conference, It's really, really hard to say that, hey, this one team is elevated across the others. And, you know, I I know this is a a KU show. I I think week by week you're looking at it and, and not necessarily sitting here today and saying, my gosh, you know, Kansas is a Big 12 favorite or anything like that but it starts to become more and more well why not Kansas and you could say that about pretty much every team in the conference i think
0: yeah which is which is wild so was something we were just talking about before we went to break here was like what what's going to be the record of of the two teams that play for the Big 12 title game like is there a real scenario where you could have like a 9 and 3 versus an 8 and 4 team or something like that like how many how many losses would you peg the uh, the Big 12 title game combined to have this year
1: Yeah, I think I'd be somewhere around five or six. You know, I I do think there's a chance that that somebody winds up, say, seven and two. But I do think there's a a pretty good chance that at least one of the two teams is going to be sitting there at six and three in conference play. And it's kind of funny because on one hand, you look at Oklahoma losing to Kansas State the way that it did, and Oklahoma had a lot of, you know, errors in that game, a lot of, you know, sort of self-inflicted wounds and Brent Venables talked about that at his press conference today. But you look at that loss and normally you'd say that that stinks. Like you lost your, your conference opener at home. You really want to protect your home field. And yet this year, I feel like you're, you're already saying, well, okay. Yeah. That, that lessens Oklahoma's margin for error a little bit. But with the way the conference is going, with how many close games there are, there, there's no way that you can look at that and say Oklahoma might have eliminated itself. I, I think you know there's a very real chance for, for Oklahoma to get back on pretty solid footing just within a couple weeks' time to the point where we look back and say, okay, that was, that was maybe a little bit of an aberration, and, and somebody's going to get in at 6-3 and three maybe.
0: Well, KU plays Iowa State this Saturday, and you got to see the Cyclones take on the Bears and have a seven-point loss against a good Baylor team. Um, uh, What sticks out to you the most about this matchup between the Jayhawks and Cyclones?
1: You know, I'm so fascinated because I think if you're looking at the best defensive minds in in the conference— you know, obviously, most people would would look at, you know, a guy like Gary Patterson helping out down in Texas and, and Brent Venables being the, the head coach at Oklahoma and may, maybe a few other guys. But John Haycock is really the guy that changed the way the spread was defended across the Big 12. Dave Aranda, obviously, a, another guy in that discussion. You know, they they just – they have – that, that sort of tight front where they make it to where their three guys up front can occupy all five of your offensive linemen, which makes it really tough to do anything because you try and run the ball and all of a sudden you've got eight guys flowing unencumbered to the ball. Sometimes if you try and throw the ball, you know they can do a lot of different things because of that. And so I think that's sort of what I'm most fascinated by is, is Haycock is on, you know, sort of this multi-year heater, if you will, as a, as a defensive coach, and and could have some answers against Kansas's offense that, that other coaches might not have. And yet, if you were to look across the conference and say, okay, who's the who's the hottest offensive coach right now? I mean, wouldn't Andy Kotelnicky at least be in that discussion, if not the outright answer? And, and so. That matchup of kind of the minds and and how they're going to try and deal with each other, I don't know that either guy's game plan is going to come off i I think that it could be one of those things Derek where we're sitting here next week and we're saying okay which coach had the better adjustment to the adjustment that that kind of helped them succeed and so to me, that's the that's the most fascinating part of, of this game. Is I, I think you know Kansas's defense against Iowa State's offense. Iowa State's offense has had some problems here and there. They they've struggled to run the ball at, at times. In particular, I, I think Kansas's defense has obviously had some issues. You want them to to control explosive plays and not give away uh, big chunks of field position and, and points. But at the end of the day, I do think it's going to be. of strength on strength and mind on mind when you look at that Kansas offense against that Iowa State defense.
3: Kevin, Iowa State coming off that Baylor loss, that was really the first big-time opponent they played. They played Iowa and got an ugly win as well, but do you think coming into this game against KU, we really have a, a clear sense of who Iowa State is or what their identity is coming into this game against KU?
1: No, I don't think so, and I think that's one of the things that makes this game interesting, Nick, is I think that When you look at at Iowa State, and I said this going into the season, Iowa State's recruited at a level, I think, higher than what a lot of people realize. And a lot of those guys are still still younger guys. It's not this year's junior class or this year's senior class. They're guys further down the roster. They're freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores. And so I don't think that Iowa State is really going to be, quote-unquote, Iowa State, where we know hey, this is who this team is until November. And so if you're looking at this from a Kansas point of view and saying, okay, when would we rather play Iowa State? Yes, Kansas is going to get better over the course of the season, but at the same time, I almost think this is when Kansas would want to play Iowa State because I'm not sure Iowa State is entirely sure where Iowa State's bread is buttered right now at this point. And we could look at the depth chart for the Cyclones, you know, two months from now, and you could have a smattering of different names or, or guys elevated or moved down or whatever uh, just based on those two months' time. And so, yeah, I, I don't think Iowa State is uh, is where it's going to be just yet, and I do think that that makes this a little bit more interesting from a Kansas perspective as well.
3: That yeah, kind of to your point, do you think that gives KU a bit of an advantage? Because I think we know what KU is at this point, and they're playing really well. So is, is that to their advantage at this point in the season? Yeah,
1: I think so. And I think that Kansas' offensive identity, I, I think we've we've kind of discovered that. And I think that we've seen the way that Kotal Nikki has kind of worked counters to the, the original actions, right? Like you, you start weighing a little too much into the triple option. Well, here's an end around going the other way if you're not being sound with your defense. And so Kansas knows that, but also, you look at it heading into the season, and people kind of forget this. I think Kansas was always going to make a big jump from last year to this year, just because last year early in the season they were still putting stuff in. I mean, they were still teaching their system within the season because they didn't get a spring, and so to get a full offseason, you were going to see a jump. And then Kansas returned more starters than anybody else in the Big Twelve. They they had the highest number of returning starters. You add in a transfer class that's a top 25 transfer class that has a lot of guys who have played college football before who kind of know what they're about. And I do think that, like I said, I do think Kansas is going to get better as the season goes on. And yet at the same time, I do think Kansas is maybe starting from a little bit more of a forward position this year than a lot of teams were because they had that familiarity with you know understanding what they're doing with the system with so many returning starters with these guys who even as they were filling in holes were guys who were experienced and so I do think that that maybe Kansas is closer to what Kansas will be than Iowa State is at this point.
0: So if you had to I guess rank where the Kansas offense as a full unit ranks amongst Big Twelve teams. On the contrary, where the Iowa State defense ranks among Big Twelve teams, are both of those units in kind of that upper echelon tier in the conference? Yeah, I think
1: so. I don't think there's any doubt that Kansas's offense, you know, occupies that spot right there. And the the funny thing is, I I got a a message after the the Duke game where somebody said, you know, I don't know that a lot of people realize this, but you go back and watch it, and Kansas might have played a C or a C minus game and, and won anyway, and scored thirty five points in doing so. And when you look at at how well the offense is played, with all the different things that that they run, that defenses have to prepare for, it, it absolutely makes them, you know, a, a top half offense. And, and I would argue at this point, you know. Is Texas maybe better when Quinn Ewers is healthy? Potentially, you know, is there another offense that could maybe jump up there as well? But Kansas is in that you know sort of one two three discussion there, and I think that's probably where Iowa State's defense slots as well. When when you look across the conference, I, I think that Baylor probably has the the best defense at this point. I would guess it, it looks to be pretty pretty darn good uh, again. But then after that, you know, there are three or four teams that maybe you could make an argument for at those two or three spots, and I think Iowa State's defense is is probably one of those that you would put in that group at this point.
0: Well, from a local recruiting perspective, with this 4-0 start, there were a ton of recruits who were at the KU football game against Duke with the sold-out crowd and whatnot. Uh, Do you get a sense that that this start and that the excitement that's been kind of building around Lawrence is is having an effect on... Uh, Local recruiting for KU already? Yeah, I think so.
1: You know, I I thought Mark Mangino maybe put it the best, and and it was, you know, around 2003 or 2004, and he didn't say, "Hey, we we got a whole bunch more kids because we started winning," but he did say there weren't nearly as many doors slammed in my face, you know, (laughs) because of of where they were in a program, and I think that's what you're starting to see now. It's not necessarily. Hey, by the end of this season Kansas is going to have five of the top 10 guys in the state for this class. But it is that Kansas is making itself a very realistic option. And you know, I can I feel like I can share a story from one of the one of the top players in the state. You know, we were talking to to one of his parents and they said basically, you know, if our kid stays in state we know who the big dog in the state is, and this was, you know, last season even when we were talking to them. And so when you hear somebody say something like that, you immediately think, okay, Kansas's chances to get that guy they, they aren't really high. And yet with Kansas being 4-0, with the Jayhawks being sort of on the cusp of, of being ranked, and certainly you would think they would be ranked if, if they can add another win to it. And just with the improvement and people actually being able to tangibly look at it and say, okay, this program has gotten significantly better, so me spending my four years there, it's not going to be a waste, uh, I think you're losing sort of that that roadblock that you had before where people were looking at your school and saying, hey, if we're staying in state – there's only one option, and it's Kansas State. I I think that now you're looking, and especially I don't know how much is going to show up in this 2023 class. It may help with a local player or two, but I think that where you're going to start seeing that help is in local classes like 2024 and 2025, where these guys are all of a sudden going into their full recruiting cycle thinking that Kansas is a very real and legitimate option for them.
0: Well, amid all the KU uh, hype and everything, we we barely even got to talk about Jamari McDowell yesterday, KU basketball's latest commit there, four-star kid, and um, I I don't know, he's he's ranked 42nd on the 24-7 specific recruiting page, but he's down to 77th on the composite. Uh, What's kind of created such differing opinions there? Like, is that something where... Uh, they're just, I I don't know, like a rise is coming or a drop is coming. Like, uh, what do you think is kind of going on in the rankings in that situation?
1: You know, there are a few different things that that could kind of lead to that. I mean, on one hand, you could say, hey, certain people prize certain traits more than others. And, And in some cases, Derek, it's as simple as maybe we updated our rankings more recently, which we did update our rankings fairly recently. And somebody hasn't made a change to, to kind of bump a guy like that up. I know that, you know, this doesn't necessarily pertain specifically to this one, but there's that narrative out there that, you know, Ochiabaji got bumped up to where he was because he committed to Kansas. And that's not true. Where he got bumped up was he had a huge senior year, and then we updated, you know, later on. And, and so he got bumped up after his senior year, not after he committed to Kansas. It wasn't like people looked at it and said, oh, he went to Kansas. Let's let's throw a few more stars next to this guy's name or, or bump him up a hundred spots or whatever. And so sometimes it's as simple as that, where there's not actually a major difference in opinion with the kid. It's just that one ranking was updated recently. He got moved up or or down in some cases. Sometimes a kid has has a bad spring or, or whatever, and he's going to get moved down, and one ranking moves them down, you know, right away. Another ranking, they don't publish their updated rankings for another month, and so it, there's that that difference there. But I do think too, when you're talking about guys in that range, in particular, say forty slash forty-five up to seventy or seventy-five, there's not usually a huge difference between those guys. It, it there really isn't, and I know that you look at it and you say, well, there's. There's 30 players in between there but you're really splitting hairs and so in a lot of cases a, a guy can move up or, or just slightly down it's within that range and it's not necessarily that they did something great or they did something bad it might be that somebody else did something great or, or bad and there really isn't a huge gap between where those guys are sitting anyway.
0: he is Kevin Flaherty you can check out all his work in 24/7 sports and with CBS Sports Kevin I appreciate the time as always man.
1: All right, thanks a
0: lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty again, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. This is FM 117, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on another edition of RCST. Starting uh, tomorrow, they're going to have this Prime House Direct gigantic truckload event out at the Menards in Topeka from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day, Wednesday through Saturday in the parking lot there. You can go out and you're going to save a bunch of money on some of these great loads of meat. Um, by cutting, packing, and bringing a whole truckload of USDA prime beef, gourmet chicken, select seafood, and premium pork, they guarantee gigantic savings and wholesale direct to the public. You can get some of these buy one, get two free bundles. They have 20 ribeyes for 39.99. So go check out the Prime House Direct gigantic truckload event at Menards anytime between Wednesday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. starting tomorrow. All right, let's get on to our KU offensive notes from week 4 the game against duke let's just get the negatives out of the way real quick cuz obviously for the most part it was positives um fumbling issues continue to be a thing for this team they haven't always lost them so like in the first game savion morrison lost a fumble the second game against West Virginia, Daniel Hyshaw almost lost a fumble right by the goal line. Then the third game, Daniel Hyshaw almost lost another fumble against Duke. Devin Neal did lose a fumble. That's not four straight weeks one of the running backs has fumbled the football. That can't continue moving forward.
3: Yeah, that's not good. That's mm-hmm. not what you want. That's not what you want out of your running backs. By the way, on this note, this is not related to KU, but I don't know if you saw. And I, I mean, this is just one of those things that's like, okay, whatever. Bijan John Robinson after the game against Texas Tech supposedly he carried yeah. a football around him, with him all day like <laughs> on campus to class around and like asking people to oh try to punch it out try to try <laughs> to punch it out guys and nobody could punch it out so like okay whatever like cool you still fumbled and lost the game i just thought that was kind of i i i think it's kind of silly to be honest
0: i think it'd be really funny if like eight students like cornered Bijan robinson and like circled around (laughs) him they just did everything in their power just to like punch the ball out or something like that that'd be kind of funny um (laughs) but yeah they 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 have to like that can't continue that just can't continue you can't fumble once every game
3: yeah sorry about Um, about the sidetrack
0: no 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 it was a fun sidetrack um The other negative was the four-minute offense. Like That's now becoming a, I don't know if I'd quite call it a theme because it's only the second time this has happened, but it's two for two now because when you look at the West Virginia game and now the Duke game, you had opportunities both times on offense where you were up by eight points with the ball with under four minutes to go. And if you get maybe one first down, maybe two first downs, whatever it is, you seal the game, you run the clock out, and you don't have to worry about your defense getting the ball back, which in the Duke game, you end up making the stop at the end, which in the West Virginia game, you end up having to go to overtime because of it. Four-minute offense has to, like, that's been the only... Everything the offense has done has been exquisite so far. They've looked unstoppable. That's been the one thing they haven't perfected yet.
3: What's surprising to me about this issue is I've been very happy, very impressed with the aggressiveness of KU generally, Offensively, or earlier in games, right? Like even against Duke, they they were very aggressive at various points in the game. On fourth down, they went for it. They got stopped on the goal line, obviously, but they but they've still they've been aggressive, right? But now, as you said, for the second time this season, we've got a situation where KU has the lead and they just turtle up. They just turtle up and just try and just run HB dive three plays in a row and and punt, right? Or against West Virginia, it was even worse. Against West Virginia, they had fourth and one or fourth and very short, right? And if they went for it, they would have won the game. Yes. So, uh, that part is a bit surprising to me because we've seen, at other times during games, very aggressive play calling, very, very uh, active, very preemptive play calling from Lance Leipold and Nicole Nicky. and but then we get to these situations late in the game where it becomes very conservative. So, I don't really, I'm not quite sure what why, why that is or what the situation is there because obviously KU's offense, we talk about it, they're so dynamic, like, you should be able to drop some dynamic plays to get yourselves a couple first downs to win the game, right? Especially considering the KU defense has struggled at times. Like, like it's actually interesting. This is kind of a similar issue that, that has plagued the Chiefs at various times through, over the course of since Mahomes has become the quarterback. Where you've had fans and situations say, "Well, Andy Reid, why aren't you being more aggressive? You have Mahomes. Go, go win the game with your offense." And then instead of giving it back to your defense. So it's kind of that same idea, I guess here. But yeah, I think what's curious about it is 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 the the fact that we've seen them be aggressive, we've seen them take risks at earlier points in the game, but then late in the game, when your offense has played a great game throughout the rest of the game, like right, like the offense obviously the offense for Ke was fantastic from the middle of the first quarter onwards. In the Duke game, they were pretty much unstoppable the whole game. So then why all of a sudden does it become, well, we're just going to run straight up the gut three times and punt, right? So that is, it's a bit curious from that standpoint, you know, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, you would think it's something that, that they can get resolved and, and hopefully they can because I, I think, you know, the defense got the stop against Duke, but it was <laughs> it was stressful. They had, there was a couple of penalties that kept the drive alive. You know, they obviously got down near the inside the 30 yard line of KU. Like, it was still a stressful stop. Like it wasn't just like they got him off the field immediately. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I do think there is some concern about that, but I, I don't know that we necessarily need to be like panicking about it or overly stressed about it. Uh, but it is something to, to keep in mind. And and I wonder if Lance Lapil and Danny Kolden are having these conversations of, hey, maybe we do need to be more aggressive. Maybe we do need to go ahead and just trust our offense here, and you know, call up some plays that we think are going to maybe catch a defense off guard they're of just running HB dive.
0: Yes. That, among everything that worked for KU in the Duke game, they're just standard basic run plays. They weren't getting a, a ton there. But, yeah, they, they just, whatever it is, whether it is being more aggressive like you're talking about and maybe trusting Jalen Daniels more in that moment and giving him the pass or just executing what you're doing better, whatever it is, that, yeah. uh, again, it's just two games, so it's not like a trend or a theme but we haven't seen the alternative yet, so certainly something that if KU gets a late lead in this one, I'll be watching for if they can close it out. Real quick, before I get into a bunch of the positives here, Jason Bean had some interesting usage in the game against Duke. You saw him come in as a quarterback that one play where he just ran like the sweep to the right, and I think that's something I... I, As I was thinking about Jalen Daniels, the runner versus Jason Bean, the runner, I think the automatic thought is Jason Bean's one of the fastest guys on the team. If that's what Jalen Daniels is doing as a runner, just imagine what Jason Bean could do as a runner in some of these plays where if you bring him in, right? But I think the biggest difference to me between Jalen and Jason Bean as a runner, Jalen's more willing to I think go up the middle and take a hit. Whereas with Bean, it's more about trying to get to the outside and and that, you know, there's there's gonna be times that works. Yeah. Um but then you also saw him in as a like running back essentially on one play. I wonder how much of what they showed was just trying to put something on tape to get Iowa State to worry about something versus maybe just – because remember, in the Tennessee Tech game, we only saw them run the triple option like, a handful of times, yeah, like maybe. barely at all. Exactly. But they did run it a few times, which I think looking back on now was almost them using it as like an audition to just be like, hey, let's make sure we can at least run this a couple times in a game. <laughs> What if they're going to use a bigger Jason Bean package this week against Iowa State, and that was them just being like, "Hey, let's let's just try to like kink out any iron or See, that's whatever iron out any kinks here."
3: I I didn't read into the Jason Bean usage. I I actually read read it the other way. So we talked about this yesterday. You know, Jalen Daniels came up a bit slow after a hit on a running play in the first quarter, and then didn't really run that much afterwards. So the Jason Bean plays, I was interpreting it as okay, we want to run an option play here, but we don't want to run Jalen Daniels right now, so we're going to bring in Jason Bean to run an option and then take him out. That was kind of my read on it, which maybe it was wrong. Maybe it could be no, wrong. No, I mean, I that mean, I could be know, right, too, know, like guess... uh, keep hits away from Jalen yeah, Daniels. because, again, like, like I said, Jalen Daniels, after he got up slow from that hit, it was like mid to late first quarter, I want to say, they they didn't run any more option plays with Jason Daniels or with uh, Jalen Daniels. They didn't. He didn't. He didn't run at all either. He never scrambled or anything at all either until basically the fourth quarter. And I read that as okay. You know he was took he took a hit and was kind of slow getting up. You know maybe he's got a little discomfort, so they're trying to you know not run with him as much. And then and then they brought in Jason Bean and the plays that they brought in Jason Bean he only ran the option. So my read on it was okay. They wanted to run a quarterback option, but they didn't want to run with Jalen Daniels because he's not 100%. So they brought in Jason Bean. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But also, it could serve both purposes. Maybe they do want to incorporate more of Jason Bean. And and you know, I think it could be very possible that Jason Bean ends up being a guy where they bring him in as like a running back, and then they run the triple option where you pitch it to him and he could throw right. Like that's a that's that would be a cool. play. That would play. be very cool. That play. would be a cool play. I'm all for that. <laughs> where you run a. You know, you run a speed option with Jalen and Jason, and then he he can pitch it to Jason. As long as you're behind can, the line, yeah, he's, exactly, and he can throw. You know, so so I I think there's the pot. There's definitely some interesting possibilities with something along the lines of something like that, and with the creativity of Andy Kolnicki, I can only imagine what he's dreaming up <laughs> of using them as. You know, so,
0: but I don't know. It is curious. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so the biggest positives here, you mentioned with Andy Kotelnicki just there, um, so impressed with his play designs, the, the guys coming in motion, the formation usage, the the personnel usage, the play calling. Like, it has just been exquisite so far for what he has done. He just seemingly is putting everybody in the best position to succeed. And we've we've spent all this time talking about Lance Leipold, possibly, you know, with Nebraska and all that stuff. Like, you're going to have to do just as much work right now to fend off jobs from wanting to hire Andy Kotelnicki. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is true. With, with what he's been able to do, and,
3: and yeah, it's it's very impressive. And obviously, Jalen Daniels has been outstanding, and there's no denying that. But you're right. It, it also is is play play design, right? And I I think Andy Kolnicky always mentions this, and, and and it's very true, right? Somebody inevitably, uh, I think after the Houston game, you know, somebody asked him like, "Oh, you know, well, what? You know, the the play to Torrey Lachlan, you know, you design that up, whatever, right?" And Andy Kolnicky always gives the same answer, and it's a fair answer. He's very true. He says. You know, listen, it's only a great play because it worked. If I call that play and it doesn't work, it's a bad play call,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. So
3: it comes down to execution, right? It's it, it, like it's it's equal parts play calling as it is the players understanding what's happening and, and, and being able to execute the play successfully, right? So there is that other, that other aspect of it, which makes it even more impressive what K was doing, is how much they are on the same page with their play calling and how much they are able to execute. And I think it goes back to... I can only imagine how many times in practice Andy Kolnicki has said, "We're not going to play bad football." That's been his. That, that's something he brings up every press conference, and I can only imagine how many times he's yelled that at, at, at these guys and let them know, you know, this is this is what it is. We're gonna we're gonna execute and we're gonna do this, and clearly it's gotten through, and and you know you're you're seeing the fruits of that labor basically, and and yeah, so uh, uh, Andy Koolnicki deserves a lot of credit, but so does jalen daniels so does the offensive line so does the tight ends for the run blocking so does the running backs for their hitting the hole so the wide receivers who i think we really were kind of sleeping on the wide receiver core and and there's some talent out there there's some guys making some great plays out there so it's it's a it's a collective effort that has just been obviously very impressive through the first four games yeah
0: and uh jalen daniels continues to be unreal i the what is it the friday night lights quote where uh Booby miles uncle is, is like talking to recruiters and they're sitting in the stands and he's like, uh, you know, talking him up and everything. And then like in the practice, he throws a, he throws a pass to someone. It's like a perfect pass. And he goes, Oh, and he can pass. That was Jalen uh, Daniels with the punt. He was like, Oh, and he can punt. Uh, what can I he not figure do? out where you were going with that? Have you seen that movie? Um, Oh so. my gosh! I don't know, maybe Nick. I can't remember. I'm not really a big movie guy. Honestly. Oh gosh. Okay. Well. Anyway, I know. I know the reference. <laughs> <obviously>. <laughs> okay. Good. Um. But Daniel Highshot having that that long touchdown and that incredible play again playing really well. Devin Neal goes out with an injury at one point. You need him to step up. He does. There there are certain things that Devin Neal does better than Daniel Hyshaw. There are certain attributes that. You know, you could say, whatever, Savion Morrison might do better. Like Savion Morrison might be quicker than Daniel Highshaw or something. But as far as when you you total up all the attributes and put them all together and and just the best overall running back, Daniel Highshaw is as good as, as Devin Neal. Well, I will say this. This was part of the discourse
3: preseason about the about the running back room. Was if one guy's having an off week, somebody else can step up and have a have a great week, right? I think we can we can agree. Devin Neal was not at his best against Duke. He fumbled. He was maybe dealing with an injury, this, that, or the other, right? But the because there is little to no drop-off in terms of talent of this running back group, there was no drop-off in production from that position for KU offensively, right? It was next man up. And that was, that was exactly the discourse that, that was around the running back room preseason was you've got these guys, and you know what? If somebody's having a bad week, somebody else can step up and do it. And we saw it on the field against Duke, right? It could be very well next week. Daniel Hyshaw struggles, and Devin Neal goes off, right? Or maybe Kai Thomas comes back. Or even Stavion, Stavion Morrison is averaging like 12 yards per carry, by the way, <laughs> because they bring him in, and he gets like a jet sweep, and he gets 20 yards every time he gets the ball. So, you know, but, but again, I think that was that was the discourse. Now, was the discourse centered around Daniel Hyshaw? No. No, it wasn't. And, in fact, if you remember preseason, there was a question asked about, you know, Daniel Hyshaw getting bumped over by these other running backs, and Lance Leipold was... Probably the most defensive I've ever seen him about that question, right? And it turns out it was for good reason. Daniel Eichow is very good, and he's a very hard runner, and he's he's you know he does what he, he does what he needs to do. So, but but yeah, it was definitely a positive because that was that was the general discourse around the running back room was okay. You know, if one guy's having an off week, you've got these other guys that are equally talented that can step up and step up and fill the role. And I think at the end of the day, from the offense perspective, I don't think. Based on what KU does, it doesn't really matter who it is, right? It doesn't really matter who it is that's getting the production, as long as you have that production from the running back position. KU's offense is going to find success because of that. So, I think it's I think it's it's great that we had that we had the discuss we had the discourse about it preseason, and now it happened against Duke, and we'll see what happens with with, with the running back room going forward. But it was definitely a positive. I think that 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 did happen. That one of the guys was struggling. Devin Neal was struggling. And here comes Daniel Highshaw, steps in and has a great game.
0: The last thing I wanted to make note of here was with the receivers. Like, none of them are going to end up having gaudy numbers on the season. Nobody has surpassed 200 receiving yards so far. L.J. Arnold's in first. Luke Grimm's not far behind him. Quentin Skinner's over 100 yards right now. Well, but, like,
3: you know why nobody surpassed 200 yards? Because against Houston, Jalen yeah. Daniels completed. 14 passes to 11 guys right
0: right, yeah it's balanced and they run the ball and everything but nobody's going to end up having the gaudy numbers but that shouldn't take away from the impact that they're having like none of them are making mistakes they're not dropping footballs balls aren't getting tipped up in the air that are leading to interceptions and when they need them to make a play it might not be a 60 yard touchdown it could just be a five little yard out route where you secure the ball it could be a 15 yard pass where you make a a catch and you you deal with the hit and you hold on to the ball. It could be a, a 20, 30-yard throw where you have to make a kind of win-it ball over the DB. And so far, there hasn't been one guy that has just, you know, done it five times in a game. But whenever their number's getting called, they're making the plays. And that's what matters here the most. So they don't have, a, you know, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, or whatever. <laughs> but, like, all these guys are making the most of their plays. And, and I think... um that speaks to the job that honestly the the new receivers coach has kind of done but also that maybe they had more talent there than we thought in the preseason. Yeah, I think
3: we definitely slept on mm-hmm. the wide receiving group because I think unequivocally we decided that was pretty far and away of the the quote unquote weakest position position group on on the offense and I mean, I, you might still say that that might still be true, but it's not because of what they're you know it's not a lack of what they're doing you know what i mean it's just the other the other position groups in the offense have been performing so well so yeah i, th- I think we have to be very impressed with the wide receivers and certainly give them credit for what they've done because it's been like i said the, the the production has been there when it's been asked of them and it's it's been really nice to see i think
0: he's nick springer i'm derek johnson we're going to take a timeout when we come back the rest of what lance leipold had to say to the media earlier today this is rcst on klwn depend on it